Hi, I'm Joe Moravchik. Thank you for joining us on the Public Policy This Week podcast. If you like what you hear on this show, please consider leaving us a review or telling a friend about us. Also, please consider subscribing so you receive a brand new edition of the show every time we make one available. We hope you find Public Policy This Week entertaining and informative. And thanks again for listening. Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It's Friday, September 23rd, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week. Public Policy This Week is dedicated to the discussion of comprehensive, integrated public policy discussions. Here, we stay away from the politics to the greatest extent possible to focus on policy. We bring on guests who are experts in their fields to learn about public policy challenges and opportunities. And we'll listen to what the research and data says about possible solutions to the toughest shared challenges we have in society. We're going to discuss forestry management in Minnesota today, and we have two guests joining us from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources who are experts in this field. Our first guest is Mr. Gary Michael, who serves as the supervisor for the Cooperative Forestry Management Unit. He oversees the Forest Legacy Program, the Forest Stewardship Program, and the Urban and Community Forest Program. Gary graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Forestry from Northern Arizona University in 1994. And in 1995, Gary found his first professional forestry position with the Missouri Department of Conservation as a state land management forester. In 1997, Gary made his way to Minnesota and has worked with the private forest management program ever since. He spent 12 years as a field forester stationed in Faribault, then promoted to the statewide private forest management program coordinator, and in 2015, promoted to the cooperative forest management supervisor, where he supervises the programs we'll discuss with him today. Our second guest is Mr. John Dremel, supervisor for the Timber Sales Unit, which oversees timber harvests on state-owned lands to include the timber auction program. His unit also ensures compliance with environmental and safety practices for all timber harvesting in Minnesota state forests. John found the forestry profession when he started college after service in the military. He graduated from the University of Minnesota College of Natural Resources in 2004 and started with the Minnesota DNR soon after. Like many other foresters, he started in the far northern part of the state and moved south as his career progressed. After 10-plus years in Bemidji, he and his family moved to the St. Paul area so he could manage the DNR statewide timber program. John has been the timber program supervisor since 2019. John Dremel and Gary Michael, welcome to this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. We're happy to have you join us today. Gentlemen, where are you this morning for our uh, for our discussions? We're on Zoom. Uh, John, where are you sitting? I'm uh, at St. Paul Central Office in the east side of downtown St. Paul. And Gary, how about you? Yeah, thank you. I'm coming to you from my home right on the shores of Ray's Lake in beautiful Elysian, Minnesota, which means heavenly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me on your show this morning and giving a chance to talk about forest management in Minnesota. Gentlemen, let's start our discussion. John Dremel, maybe you could start us off. What is the timber sales unit of the Minnesota DNR, and how does it function in supporting overall forest management in Minnesota? Thanks, Joe. So we've got a small team uh, that works statewide uh, across DNR state lands and with all the area offices in the state. Uh, We've got a few programs and staff, one being uh, in the utilization and marketing program. So uh, you know, understanding what's used by all the mills in the state, uh, 
how that wood moves in and out of the state, uh, you know, that resource for compiling the data on forest resources. So if a business is interested in investing in Minnesota, uh, they're able to make informed decisions. Um, also, you know, the whole economic promotion of Minnesota being a good state to, to do forestry and to, to invest in. Uh, we also have a scaling program, which uh, works with all the, the, the users of the wood products, the mills uh, that do the scaling of state wood and make sure they're scaling to uh, our compliance. Also, you know, uh, appraisal and how we're appraising timber uh, in the state forest. Um, an administra administration program. Uh, that deals with all the economics of all the timber sales, uh, some 800 a year that go through uh, the system uh, and make sure all the financials are in line. Uh, an operations program that helps with training all of our staff across the state, uh, enforcing our regulations and policy, making sure we're following the statutes. Uh, and then me kind of overarching, working with uh, legislative solutions, problem solving, working with stakeholders. Uh, next week, I'm going on a, the forest certification uh, audit. Uh, so we're third party cert, uh, certified. So we're involved in that. Uh, and, you know, generally working with all the foresters across the state, the three regions, 15 area offices, and, and something like 200 foresters that are involved in appraising uh, and administering timber sales uh, in forest management. So, John, just a quick follow-up on that. Uh, we know there are about 26 million acres of land in the state of Minnesota that are dedicated to agriculture. Is forestry considered agriculture, or is it something different than agriculture? You know, I, I, I pull it into uh, a different category in agriculture. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, as far as timberlands go, there's about uh, 15 or 16 million acres of forest that would be classified as timberlands across all ownerships. Uh, and of course, that's divided between private, national, forest, county, and state mm -hmm. administrations. Okay. And uh, Gary, your turn. What does your unit do to support forestry management in Minnesota? And from my reading of the DNR website, it looks like your unit concentrates a great deal on supporting private landowners and both municipal and township communities with forestry management and conservation. Uh, what, what is it you do with all these programs? Okay, yeah, that's correct, John. I, I supervise the uh, Cooperative Forest Management Unit, which works with private landowners as well as communities to help them manage their forest sustainably. Um, I always say, basically, to anybody that'll listen, that uh, we can't meet our goals of the department, the governor, even society by only managing public forest land in order to achieve that the clean water and, and clean air. Uh, to meet the wildlife habitat goals, uh, to provide recreation benefits, and to sustain good timber economy in Minnesota, we have to also make sure our private forests, community forests, are managed sustainably. Um, and uh, so, I have several staff in St. Paul that kind of oversee the different programs, whether it's our easement program, which which puts uh, private land uh, easements down on the property, takes away you know, like development, agricultural rights, and, and uh, protects it for forest management for for uh, per perpetual, you know, their perpetual easement, so forever. Um, and then I have a private forest management and forestry incentives coordinator that work strictly with uh, the private landowners that own forests or want to maybe plant open ground into forest, uh, and then a community 
uh, urban and community forestry program coordinator as well. And so these staff uh, run those programs. And, and um, but I have to say too that you know we have several foresters. I think it's 18 now um, across the state. So we have statewide coverage. So if somebody wants assistance with you know their woodlands, uh, they can call the DNR, and, and we'll provide that assistance. But there's also Soil and Water Conservation Districts, you're probably familiar with, they have staff that assist uh, on forestry issues on private land. And then there are several, I want to say maybe 50 um, consultants that, you know, either do part-time or full-time. Some of them are retired DNR foresters even. Um, and they're private forestry consultants that assist private landowners uh, on their forests. So. We know your two units aren't the only units inside the forestry management section at the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. What other units are inside the forestry section and what do they do to oversee forestry management in Minnesota? Perhaps both of you could comment on that. Uh, John, why don't you go ahead? Maybe I'll start. Uh, so our timber units in the op forest operations section. Uh, so other programs that we, we work closely with include uh, is a civil culture program that works uh, with all the, you know, planting, reforestation, and even, uh, you know, timber plan design. We work closely with them to uh, manage the forest over the long term, uh, you know, plans program to make sure we, you know, organize where we are versus uh, uh, our, our partners' lands and the transactions that occur there, uh, roads, invasive species, forest health unit, the forest health unit does, you know, annual surveys of insect and disease, forest health issues across the state, um, ecological classification systems, uh, about the natural processes of our forest lands. Uh, that's all housed in the operations section. Uh, we have a, a fire section that includes, you know, the, the wildland fire suppression, uh, any prescribed fire within the state. Uh, an aviation program, uh, general emergency management, uh, and including FireWise, which works, you know, with communities for, uh, you know, building fire defensible communities, FireWise communities. Um, I'll turn it to Gary. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about fires later on, but Gary, go ahead and comment, if you would, what other units are inside the forestry section and what do they do to oversee forestry in Minnesota? Yeah, okay. So um, I don't think John mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but, uh, you know, we have a nursery. Uh, we have nursery operation. So um, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> a nursery that produces uh, up to 10 million seedlings per year for sale. Um, but they've been producing about three, four million for the last several years, uh, hoping to ramp that up uh, in the near future with some of the things we'll talk about, I think later in the show here, but um, also a resource assessment or uh, um, program. That's the program that um, does all the inventory, whether uh, on state, federal or private land. And, and those two operations, whether it's resource assessment or nursery, they're kind of independent. They um, they're required to uh, be self-sufficient. In other words, uh, the con resource assessment contracts out the, uh, or has contracts to do that inventory and, and, they, and they 
and that's how they sustain their their staff and then nursery of course by the sailing uh sale of seedlings um maintains their own budget that way too so uh, can i ask a quick follow-up on the uh, when, when we do when we do logging right when you're going to log publicly owned lands uh is that clear cut typically or is it selective logging i mean what john how does that generally work yeah, I was going to uh, mention even building off of the resource assessment uh, program. You know, we have inventory, an in- inventory program that's on all of our lands. Um, and so before we get to, you know, finding the clear-cut harvest, which, you know, uh, most of our forests in Minnesota are, you know, even age managed uh, cover types. Uh, so we do a lot of clear-cutting. But before we even get there, you know, we have a policy planning and outreach section and in that planning section, we take the forest inventory. Uh, we do a lot of work to, you know, model what the sustainable harvest numbers uh, should be. Uh, developing all those prescriptions, those standard prescriptions that go to all those different cover types, uh, and then provide that guidance to our field staff that when they're in a certain cover type or a certain uh, uh, native plant community, these are the types of things to look for. Uh, Considering climate change, for example, which which ways can we push the forest long term to best achieve you know all the goals that the DNR works for, you know, including producing that timber product, but like Gary mentioned, the clean water, clean air, uh, habitat, all the values that are important for Minnesota's forests. So uh, we take a lot of steps to get there, and then our field staff go to the go to those places. And then prescribe that that best management uh, that that fits that that particular you know forest stand and age class and considering all the other things that that happen there whether it be uh, endangered threatened species or pushing towards a habitat condition uh, to develop that prescription which often includes you know clear cut with reserves uh, but we do a lot of uh, thinning of our pine stands for example or you know intermediate treatments in our hardwood cover types to uh, try to perpetuate the the forest conditions that are best long-term. Okay. And, and Gary, you have something to add? Yeah. So on, on private land, um, you know, actually the, the timber harvest, we, we do assist private landowners with timber harvest. Um, the lion's share of it is really done with through the consultants. That's kind of how they, how they can sustain their business. But <clears throat> with private lands, you really, you make a recommendation. This is how, you know, a professional forester recommends that you do it, but we're always taking into consideration the goals of the private landowner. Because, you know, when you're looking at state land, you're looking at uh, millions of acres or maybe uh, tracks that are several hundred acres at a time. Um, with the private land, it could be that they only own 40 or 20 or, you know, 120 acres. So you don't want to necessarily clear cut uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. entire acreages. <laughs> <laughs> So we're definitely taking into consideration uh, landowner goals and objectives and, and their preferences on, on how that cutting gets done. Yeah, that's a good point. John, go ahead. One other consideration, too, is, uh, you know, we can design a timber sale, but if we can't get a, a logger, uh, an operator interested there, then we can't achieve that management. So we, we're really relying on our, our logging infrastructure and the loggers out there in the rural communities that come in, you know, actually achieve our forest management goals by following our, you know, appraisal, our permit specifications to uh, accomplish that management. So 
we want to make a, a good timber sale that achieves you know our goals, but also is attractive for someone to come in and uh, and purchase that permit and operate it. If I could just sort of summarize what I'm hearing from the two of you is that the state of Minnesota doesn't do any of the harvesting directly. You have commercial entities come in and do the harvesting uh, or consultants come in and do the harvesting, whether it be clear cut or selective logging. Is that is that a good summary? Yeah, that's correct, John. And, uh, you know, one of our goals is to be that stable long term supplier uh, so that the industry out there knows what to expect from from DNR and they can plan accordingly. Uh, over the long term. Okay. Uh, for our audience, you're listening to Public Policy This Week, and we're your hosts, Joe Moravchik and John Olson. Our guests today are Gary Michael and John Drimmel from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Forest Management Section. Uh, if we could, uh, let's get into some of the challenges facing Minnesota right now in the forestry management area. Uh, I'd like to start off by asking both of you about the impacts of climate change. Both of you just mentioned uh, climate change a few minutes ago. Uh, what impacts are we already seeing uh, and what impacts are anticipated as we move forward uh, to the state of Minnesota? And, and, and what is what are you doing in the forestry management section to mitigate the impact of changing climate conditions as as we manage Minnesota's forests going forward. I, I, I can think of no other resource in the state of Minnesota that is uh, that requires as much strategic thinking and planning as forestry management because it takes so long for so many trees to grow up to the, to the point where they can be harvested. So uh, w- what do the two of you have to say about those topics? You know, I think forestry has always been a, a, a positive for climate management or carbon uh, management, if you if you want to think that way. Uh, and I don't want to confuse climate and weather, but one right. of those long-term climate change uh, 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 occurrences is these extreme weather events. And uh, last year, we dealt with us, you know, a significant drought all, all summer long. Uh, I think I responded to several large fires myself as part of fire teams uh, that we had to deal with. Uh, this year has been kind of a, a flip to uh, a very a wet summer, especially in the north. Uh, so both of those extremes caused, you know, challenges for us to accomplish our management. Uh, when I look at the forest as a whole, uh, you know, fire is a natural part of the landscape and the ecosystem. But when you have uh, people living out in the forest, uh, it, you know, it, it elevates that risk and uh, uh, harvest really substitutes uh, the place of those large fires. So by having an active management program, having a, a diverse forest, both in cover type and age classes, we're able to you know, mitigate those, those, uh, those effects that would cause say a large fire event. Uh, another thing I think about is uh, you know, our shortening winters. The vast majority of our harvest uh, happens during frozen ground conditions mm. and as that uh that frozen ground window shortens that limits our ability to you know effectively uh you know access our timber stands and and, and complete all that work in a year uh so having to manage uh, you know permit length provide that opportunity uh for our permit holders to to access you know access the acres um that all kind of plays into a, like you say, a, a complicated long-term puzzle on on approaching approaching the management year to year. And Gary, how about you? What what are you doing in the cooperative forestry management area? Right. So, um, you know, climate change has that potential to shift the ecology of our forests. Um, you know, our boreal forests up north could 
over time, take a while, but could convert to hardwoods uh, uh, that we see in, our, in the south at this time. Um, so we're gonna um, make some shifts potentially in when we're when we're working with private landowners or state forests on you know what we want to see as the next forest uh, forest out there. And, and there's winners and losers in terms of species of trees that are going to be uh, potentially here long term if climate change change continues. Um, of course, forests have a potential to slow climate change by sequestering carbon. You know, carbon is stored in that wood and by lowering the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, we can reduce the effects of climate change. So there are a few opportunities to, to there there are a few opportunities to plant more trees in, in uh, on state lands. And this is where private lands uh, uh, can kind of come to the rescue um, as reforestation uh, as a potential solution or uh, not maybe a solution, but a, a factor in, in slowing climate change. Um, so we think it will need to happen on private land and in communities. Uh, so we're working hard with our partners, both agency partners and, and NGOs uh, to come up with ways to encourage additional tree planting in the state of Minnesota. I don't know if you know about the, the Nature Conservancy has come out with a goal of planting 1 million acres, not 1 million trees or seedlings, but 1 million acres uh, in Minnesota. So it's a hefty goal. Uh, and there are a lot of details that need to be worked out for that to happen. But as a private land specialist, I can tell you um, it will take incentives and it will take incentives and it will take more incentives to convert <laughs> open ground uh, uh, to forest on private land. But it's something that, you know, we are currently working on. Gentlemen, we have another challenge to forestry management that to a certain extent goes hand in hand with climate change. That topic is invasive species. We've likely all heard about emerald ash borer. They survive more easily now that our winters are milder. Many listeners have probably also heard of bronze birch borer. What is the origin of these destructive insects in Minnesota, and how do they damage and kill trees? And what other invasive pests are threatening our forests both now and will be in the future as pests make their way here to Minnesota? Uh, John, go ahead. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll start. Yeah. Uh, so bronze birch borer, for instance, you know, that's a that's a native insect. And you know, Minnesota's forests have, you know, multiple native insects uh, that play a role in the natural ecology of Minnesota's forests. Um, you know, really, it comes down to, again, like last year when we had a drought, like whether it be bronze birch borer or two line chestnut borer, another native insect that affects our trees in Minnesota. Uh, when the trees are stressed because of a drought or in your yard because of you know any number of factors, whether it be construction or septic or, or whatever it happens to be, as that stress builds in the tree, it can be more susceptible to those native insects and you know cause that tree to decline. Uh, so at the small scale, again, having, you know, uh, I always go back to when I talk to a landowner, it's about water, mulch, and fertilize. We want to protect the trees in our yard to make sure we're uh, having the, the, the healthiest tree possible uh, to, to withstand those insects. Um, now, of course, there's other insects like uh, emerald ash borer, which are non-native uh, and our forests don't have a natural defense to, com to combat that insect. There's no predator for emerald ash borer. Uh, so that's one we're really watching closely in Minnesota because, you know, 
I, I don't I don't have the number in front of me, but as far as our black ash forest, we have more ash in our state than any other state, if I, if I remember that right. Uh, so we see that as a big risk uh, to our ash forests, and our goal is to keep that those uh, ash cover types in a forested in a forested state. You know, to protect the the hydrology, protect the water quality, and and keep those lands uh, forested. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, eastern larch beetle. Uh, again, also tied to climate change, uh, we've seen uh, this massive mortality in our tamarack cover type uh, because of eastern larch beetle. Uh, and the tide of climate change being the longer seasons, longer summer seasons has allowed for uh, a second generation to come each year for eastern larch beetle, which uh, just kind of builds that, you know, that, that population of the beetle that overwhelms the, the tamarack trees out there. Uh, and once, once the tamarack uh, are dead, then it makes it harder for us to manage those acres and get them regenerating again. So uh, it, it's kind of a combination of, you know, both those native and non-native that uh, our forest health unit uh, is, is always tracking uh, and, and looking after. Um, last year on the North Shore, another native uh, spruce budworm, uh, which kills, you know, uh, spruce and balsam fir uh, and creates those you know, those understory conditions where uh, you get those you know really dense dead timber stands uh, that's hard to manage commercially. It, it makes us look at the forest and how do you approach that so we don't end up with you know again a a, a catastrophic catastrophic wildfire because of you know dead trees that weren't able to remove from the landscape. So tracking that and and trying to again manage those uh the different cover types age classes acres size distribution so that uh we're able to not control but to to manage our way through uh not uh, avoiding a large outbreak and gary how about in the cooperative uh, forestry management area with the cities and whatnot uh, how are invasive species uh, impacting the tree health okay yeah Hopefully I don't repeat something John said. I've been distracted. I got a <laughs> private landowner called me four times in the last several minutes. I'm trying to help with probably about ash trees. How yeah, to protect be, them? You know, Don, if you can, if you're listening, please just give me another 45 minutes. I'll call you back. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Division of Forestry has been offering uh, grants to communities to help remove and replace ash trees across the state, and in some cases even treat. Uh, to try to slow down the effects of uh, EAB on, on emerald ash borer on, on the communities because once it, hit, it hits, it hits all at once, and they don't have the uh, budget to to tackle, you know, uh, what is usually at least 20% of their uh, urban forests all at once. So we've been trying to uh, recommend some treatments to keep those ash trees alive, you know, Go out there, uh, identify the ones that uh, that look good now, and, and make treatments, and then start to actually pro proactively remove um, the ones that don't look so good or that are more susceptible to to EAB, um, just by probably uh, location to where the the bug is already. Um, these grants come from uh, state funding, so the, our legislators are aware of the issue. Uh, and they've been 
funding it for several years, and we're looking for additional funding always uh, because it's a big problem. The, the number of I can't remember if it's a uh, I'm not going to say, but there's, like I was saying, the some some cases it's 40% of their their urban forest. In some cases, it's you know somewhere between 20 and 40. So it's a big issue. And the other part of this is the private landowners, um, uh, not private landowners, but homeowners that have ash trees in their yard. As you can imagine the cost of taking down a, a large tree next to a home is it can be in the thousands of dollars. So or you know we're trying to um, go to the legislature uh in fact probably this year to ask for assistance for those homeowners as well to come through the state to the communities and then out to the the homeowners i appreciate that uh, commentary the, uh, go, sorry sorry go ahead oh i'm sorry joe uh i said that just plays into the uh the don't move firewood that i've seen you know again billboards <laughs> as you go north yes. Uh, the last thing I want to do when I go camping is to uh, introduce <laughs> emerald ash board of the campground uh, that I go to. So that's that's pretty important for for us uh, us uh, vacationers or us traveling north to, to keep in mind. Yeah, I was just going to add. I have ash trees myself. I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. So I appreciate the commentary that you both have given us on protection of ash trees. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I heard something really interesting that I'm still scratching my head over it. John, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. Uh, uh, somebody had mentioned that earthworms had become an invasive species in northern Minnesota. And in fact, if you go fishing in Canada, you're not allowed to bring earthworms up there as bait. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of earthworms on Minnesota's northern forests? You know, it's true. And uh, until I really started looking into it, I, I wouldn't have seen it. But uh, uh you enter a, a forest stand that's infested with earthworms, and it, you got it's like an open understory. There's nothing coming up and growing. So uh, long term, as those trees get older and start falling out of the canopy, there's nothing to replace the forest with because all the all the seed, all the acorns, and and just the, it all gets kind of ground up in the soil uh, with the earthworm movement. So uh, when you lose the trees on top, there's nothing to readily grow in after them, which causes the problem. And is that an impact of climate change? I mean, is there, are the earthworms moving north because it's less severe winters? Or, uh, Gary, you have your, your hand indicated. Maybe you have some knowledge here on this topic. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't actually know about uh, if it's a climate issue. Uh, it would seem to make sense. But we can see um, in southern Minnesota the same issues. And what happens is that those earthworms uh, take away the what's called a duff layer. So that's the layer between the soil and air. You know, so it's if you go into an area that does not have these earthworms, you'll see kind of a compact compost type uh, leaf litter, and that's what uh, the the earthworms take away, which then um, dries out that soil and doesn't allow for uh, quality regeneration of um, future forests, essentially. 
Uh, moving on, gentlemen, the Minnesota DNR has that trio sale uh, each uh, spring. I sorry, in fact, I think it's already started the sales part of it. Uh, and both of you mentioned that as part of your nursery uh, operations. Uh, the DNR sells huge numbers of seedlings to landowners to assist with forestry management efforts. Uh, do you anticipate changing the species of seedlings you sell each year as climate changes begin to alter the tree species that thrive in our state? I mean, is that sort of a strategic plan that the DNR has in place uh, as, as you consider what kind of seedlings to grow each year? I talked to the nursery manager quick on this, and uh, yeah, they're adding more varieties of tree species that are predicted to, you know, do well in climate change conditions. Uh, and really it's, you know, around hardwoods that are expected to be in demand. Uh, it's, you know, especially with, like Gary mentioned, it's the, the opportunity to, for planting on private lands, uh, not necessarily replacing the softwoods on, uh, you know, state administered plans, but, uh, you know, increasing the variety and amount available in that hardwood mix uh, that are better adapted for, for planting. We've seen droughts. We've touched on it a little bit already, but we've seen droughts in Minnesota the past two years. Last year, northern Minnesota was particularly hard hit. This year's central Minnesota. When forests dry out, they become more susceptible to forest fires. I stop in Hinkley now and again on my way to and from Duluth, and I'm reminded of the great Hinkley fire of 1894, where 200,000-plus acres and six towns were turned to ashes, and as many as 476 people perished as a result of that firestorm. A few questions related to fire prevention. First, what role does your section of the DNR play in dealing with forest fire threats? Second, does proper forest management decrease the chances of catastrophic forest fires in our state? And lastly, what does the DNR do to prevent forest fires through forest management practices? Uh, John, could you comment on that? Yeah, I'll start. You know, uh, our our director always reminds us that each one of us foresters has a role in, in fire suppression, fire management. Uh, Sproul involved at some level. Uh, I'm on uh, the uh, interagency teams in Minnesota that respond to the large fires. All our area staff are involved in the you know local communities with prevention and suppression activities. Uh, you know, not to jump ahead to the for you know how forest management decreases, but uh, uh, there's a lot of education that happens in the you know especially in the fire section. Uh, that encourages safe practices. Uh, the, the largest uh, reason, the, the cause of fire is debris burning in the state. So making sure folks are aware of the fire danger, uh, using the burning permit system to you know, make sure we're not burning in, in conditions that are uh, unsafe. Uh, the fire section, they also help communities develop plans uh, for preparedness and response. Uh, I mean, we also, coordinate across agencies to make sure that uh, we're all in sync and we're all uh, working together to uh, achieve the same goals of, you know, that, that fire prevention. Um, and also, you know, lastly, you know, reducing that risk for communities uh, by working with them and homeowners, you know, to, to create fuel breaks, uh, reduce uh, the flammable materials around homes and, you know, and harden themselves against uh, that, that risk of fire. So for our audience, uh, you're listening to Public Policy This Week, and we're your hosts, Joe Moravchik and John Olson. Our guests today are John Dremel and Gary Michaels from the Forest Management Section of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Gentlemen, let's talk about opportunities now. 
And let's start with economic opportunities. What is the economic impact of forestry management and timber sales on Minnesota's economy each year? Is it big business for our state, earning revenue both for private businesses and for taxpayers through fees and other monetary mechanisms? Gary, could you please comment on that? Oh, boy. You really <laughs> picked the wrong guy for that one. I was hoping you both could have a comment. John, John yeah. can, can bring up some of the numbers. Um, in terms of private family forest, timber management through harvest is an important way to reduce you know, that burden of, of costs of owning land, basically the taxes and any improvements that they make. So through forest management, we, it, we, don't, uh, we use harvest as a tool uh, so that we can help landowners achieve their habitat goals while providing a return on their investment, uh, investment of that land. So, and I wanted to point out that nearly one half of all timber harvested in Minnesota actually comes from family forests or private forests. So, oh, wow. Okay. And it used to be uh, more than that. We, we've seen a dip since about 2008. Uh, several years ago, um, the division received some funding from the legislature to basically create a create a bus. So we got money to hire some folks to go out, and then also we got money to have a cost share program. Um, and the cost share program is really what can bring people out of the woods, so to speak. You know, um, um, it, it's a it's a program that offers fifty percent up to. 75% in some cases um, of cost share to do practices on, on their forest to help manage their forest. And so we have about 800,000 every year that goes out to private landowners to, uh, to help manage their forest. And, and, and when they come in, so it's the cost share program is kind of that, uh, oh, uh, carrot to get these folks in, and then we start teaching them about, hey, well, maybe you want a management plan for your 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 forest, and maybe you want to enroll into the Sustainable Forestry Incentives Act or some other tax programs that can reduce the cost of your um, owning the land as well. In terms of actual numbers that uh, how timber uh, affects the economy in Minnesota, I'm going to turn that portion over to John. So we're talking forest products industry in Minnesota. We're talking uh, $17 billion of value of products of shipments. Uh, it makes it the fifth largest uh, manufacturing set uh, sector in the state. Um, wow. And that's like 70,000 jobs. So it, it's significant. Uh, when nationally, we're Minnesota's ranked 14th uh, in the United States, uh, our our neighbor to the east, Wisconsin, they're actually the, the, the second uh, second largest nationally per capita for uh, for timber products. Uh, Minnesota used to be higher on that list, but you know, with uh, some massive investment in the southeast United States, we've seen a lot of those states uh, uh, come up in the ranks. But even at number fourteen, that's a it's a pretty big uh, role that Minnesota plays even the national picture of forest products. 
Gentlemen, this show covers all aspects of uh, public policy. Uh, Joe and I know that you don't make policy, that, uh, that you implement policy passed down to you from the state legislature and uh, and from the governor's office, obviously, and, and from your own uh, higher echelons in the DNR. What is it you'd want Minnesotans to know about policies that are perhaps negatively impacting forest management in our state? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a funding issue. Uh, are you resourced enough to carry out the full scope of your programs? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I can go, John. Um, Remember, we're not trying to get you fired or anything. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, so, first of all, you know, I'm grateful to our governor and state legislators for the work that they do and, and the interest that they actually uh, show in, in community and the private forest lands um, because they do. They they really do listen and attempt to help, um, as is proof of uh, EAB grants that we're able to get out. You know, it's typically a bipartisan issue. Uh, however, a couple things I'd like to see happen at the legislature that could really help include, um, you know, there, there needs to be a large, and I've mentioned it before, an expensive effort in reforestation for carbon. Uh, and this goes around that climate um, issue. You know, we need assistance on improvements to our nursery that they have recently uh, started to fund some of those improvements, the legislature, but more is needed. Uh, we also need an effort that will incentivize the landowners, as I mentioned earlier, to convert these less productive open ground areas back to forests. Um, and so that'll take a joint effort by state and federal agencies to help fund those incentives. Um, we need to attempt to get ahead of this uh, EAB, EAB, or Emerald Ashbore issue. Like I said, communities need grant money to treat remove and replace before the pest takes over in the community. Anytime um, to spread out the cost year to year, as I mentioned. On top of that, and this is, uh, I mentioned it earlier too, is, is the individual homeowners. Um, we need to lessen that burden of cost to, to remove the, the dead ash trees, uh, which can be thousands of dollars to a homeowner. And, and it really is um, a lot of times a, um, uh, you know, a disadvantage issue, disadvantaged group issue. Um, you see, uh, you know, some people have that, those funds to be able to take out that ash tree next to their their house, and a lot of them don't. And so, you know, when we do assist, when we provide assistance to communities and, and to homeowners uh, and individuals, we are, and our grant programs require that we look at those that are a little bit um, disadvantaged in whether it be economically or whatever uh so hopefully we can we can do that and then um the reforestation costs on state lands i'm hoping john's going to mention that we're having uh trouble with funding for reforestation on state lands reforestation on state lands is is a challenge uh you know we we do a lot of management we we're lucky enough to have a lot of natural regeneration but there's always ways to supplement our forest and you know ensure we're at the right stocking level um also understand there's a lot of competing priorities uh, for legislative funding uh, and agree that we do have strong support from both sides of the aisle. Uh, when an issue is raised from a stakeholder or from us internally, I feel like we're able to work with the legislative legislators to, you know, find that policy solution to get us in the right spot. Uh, an example is, from recent is a, a timber relief program that went through my, you know, that we administered through my program. Uh, after the Verso mill shut in, in Duluth, Minnesota, 
Uh, loggers were holding permits and they didn't have anywhere to bring the product. And the legislature responded, created a program for us to implement and you know, provided that relief to, to, to the loggers. So uh, that, that's a win. And uh, every year there seems to be challenges and, and issues to work through. John Dremel and Gary Michael are our guests on KYMN Radio this morning. We've got just over 10 minutes left in our show today. We have read extensively about the great problem of forest fires in California and how to potentially mitigate those fires. We, of course, have read about the devastating Camp Creek, Camp Creek Fire of 2018 that burned 18,000 structures and caused at least 85 casualties. The images of, on TV of the speed and ferocity of that fire was surreal. Additionally, we have researched about how to make our forests healthier at a time when drought, disease, and beetles are killing record numbers of trees. An intriguing plan to improve the health of forests and prevent fires is to harvest dead trees and also thin out undergrowth and turn that into biomass, which is, of course, a source of energy. Is there a need in Minnesota to harvest dead trees and clear out undergrowth on a large scale? Could our state benefit from taking dead trees and undergrowth and turning it into energy? It sounds like a winning strategy, healthier forests, job creation, energy, but perhaps there are negatives as well. I'd, I'd start even before that, uh, you know, again, active forest management on both private and state lands is that tool to, to prevent these large forest fires. And it's not necessarily all clear cut, but also, you know, thinning out uh, forest stands to reduce the density uh, makes a big difference when it comes to fire susceptibility. Uh, we also, you know, markets solve a lot of things for us. Uh, but sometimes there's that, you know, it's not a profitable enterprise for an operator. So we can do uh, timber stand improvement, which, you know, is uh, uh, using contracts to, to, to remove smaller trees, to uh, remove, you know, the competition, encourage that healthy growth. Uh, uh, never mind seeding and planting and, and, uh, and, and getting the forest to grow healthy, the, the right tree, uh, right site uh, issue. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we had a, a biomass energy uh, was much larger in Minnesota uh, that, you know, on state lands, it was largely the tops and limbs uh, that came from, you know, regular timber sales that used that, you know, less merchantable and unmerchantable material that went to the, uh, to the wood energy sector. Uh, I think before I mentioned uh, having challenges with, you know, dead or dying tamarack or the spruce budworm killed spruce and fir in the North shore. Uh, that's definitely a place where uh, commercially we, we can't use it to say make paper or boards, for example, but does provide that, you know, that energy, uh, that, that, that energy component. And we see it kind of picking up again in places like Hibbing uh, or Duluth. There's, there's some users, uh, Definitely uh, a strat, definitely long term something that that we're looking at that uh, I think provides us uh, again another tool, another outlook to uh, another another spot to bring materials that uh, that don't fit in other places, uh, and it economically it, it sure is a lot better than uh, it, it provides that stimulus rather than you know having to pay crews to go manually clear forests. Uh, you see that, you know, in, in various places where, you know, these fire, 
these fuels reduction crews to go through and, and, and burn a pile. You know, we, we talk a lot about highest and best use, and when you can put that back in the system, uh, it, it, sure, it sure is a benefit for, for all of us. Can I can I ask a quick follow up question, John? When when uh, when companies come in and clear cut, say an area that you've just determined needs to be managed and it's ready for harvest, uh, this, so the state of Minnesota is the one that goes in and replants. It's actually state government employees that do the replanting. And, and do you go in and plant like all one species to replace what was clear cut, or do you go in and provide like a mix of species to increase biodiversity? How, how does that work? So uh, kind of the first step of a timber sale is kind of thinking about that long-term civiculture, the long-term plan for the site. Uh, and in many cases, we get natural regeneration or we, we, we do a planting, uh, which we use contract crews. We'll, 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 we'll identify an area and the number of trees to plant and the species. Uh, and based on the native plant community, uh, what grows best there, uh, what's suitable long-term for climate change, uh, what you know works best now and in the future, finding that balance, uh, especially you know for that site-specific uh, location, where uh, we're it may be all one species, it may be planting all jack pine, it may be a mix, uh, and it kind of all depends on what the you know on the what was removed and the long-term plan of what goes there, but. Uh, yeah, definitely rely on the nursery and other, you know, private uh, nurseries uh, for the for the seedlings, and then contract crews to 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 get that uh, the physical work done. Gentlemen, we we only have about uh, six minutes left on our hour today. Uh, we try very hard on this show to make sure that we give our guests an opportunity to have the last word. Uh, maybe each of you uh, a couple of minutes each uh, here. What would what would each of you like to say to our listeners regarding forestry management here in Minnesota uh, under the leadership of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources? Perhaps something that we didn't cover in our questions so far today that we really absolutely should not uh, forget uh, if we're going to have a, a meaningful discussion about forestry management. Uh, Gary, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, okay. Um well, I just want to reiterate that, you know, that forest management plays uh, an important, such an important role in Minnesota, ensuring that we have these healthy forests uh, for the clean air and clean water, um, wildlife habitat, uh, recreational opportunities, and, and the timber products. Um, and I also want to point out the, the, the and help folks understand the enormous link between forests and water. Um, where we have quality forests, we have clean water uh, resources. And that's something that I've been trying to work on in the private forest management realm and urban and community forestry is, is that uh, work to protect, not uh, preserve, but to protect private lands that have uh, an impact on water resources in Northern Minnesota. So that when that water comes down the Mississippi and hits um, you know, uh, the urban setting where millions of people u utilize that for drinking water, um, that it's clean. So, you know, we're, we're taking some targeted, uh, proactive efforts in the cent north central part of Minnesota to work with private landowners to help long-term protect their properties. And like, I just want to make sure I point out that protection does not mean no management. We're still going to manage those forests for all the other benefits such as timber uh, economy and so on. So, okay. Thanks. And John, you know, I think about, uh, 
we all use wood products. I love woodworking. Uh, I, we use a lot of paper, wood products, uh, and Minnesota grown, I think, is very important to me. Uh, we can use what we have in the state. Uh, you know, DNR is one player in the forest management, you know, universe in the state. But uh, I mentioned earlier, next week we have an external certification audit. We're dual certified by FSC and uh, SFI, the Sustainable Forestry Initiative. And uh, I think today, you know, DNR is the largest single FSC certified land manager in the U.S. So, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, we have a lot of folks that, you know, look at what we do in Minnesota, verify that we're doing it the right way. And, you know, long-term sustainable management that, you know, includes the social, economic, and environmental, you know, the pillars that you know, each citizen in, in, in Minnesota, you know, looks for for our forest. So, uh, I, I'm confident that uh, we're doing good for the forest long term, uh, and that we can use what we have here, and instead of uh, you know, say exporting our pro problems elsewhere. But you know, <laughs> we we have a solid uh, solid understanding of our, our systems here, and 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 do good work across you know all ownerships in the state. Before we conclude, we'd like to talk about education quickly. The objective is healthy, beautiful Minnesota forests for recreation, wildlife, and economic opportunity. To maintain our woodlands, dedicated and knowledgeable personnel are required. For our young listeners and for parents that have children interested in forest management or any other of the many DNR careers, what is the recommended educational path to work in forestry management career for the DNR? Well, I, I would even, this is Gary, I, I would say... Um, you know, even prior to, to to recognizing what education you might need to get to, is uh, there's opportunities for uh, say high school, maybe even younger um, kids, but especially in high school to to do a ride along. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, whether it's with a forester or a conservation officer or wildlife uh, manager in DNR, that's uh, I know something that I always look forward to if I got a a kid interested in in forestry oh great you know let's let's go out and, and you try to try to make it an interesting day not one sitting on the phone and the computer but because <laughs> yeah. um, that does happen but in terms of education um really there's a a, a a wide range i think of of what was what is required uh, a two-year degree can get you um into the profession for sure a four-year uh, bachelor's of science degree in, in whatever field you're looking at. And that's the kind of neat thing about natural resources is there's several different ones to, to target, whether it's wildlife management, forestry, um, trails and waterways, parks, you know, um, but that four-year degree is really going to give you a, a step up. I, what do you think, John? Yeah, I, I just brings to mind, uh, you know, working with our industry stakeholders and, and the workforce issues that we feel across, you know, in Minnesota, but we need loggers and we need truckers. We need folks that work at mills. Uh, we need firefighters to, to be on fire crews uh, all the way to, we need forest biometricians and uh, folks that are great with technology. I was just watching folks scale wood piles using drones. It's, it's pretty amazing the <laughs> wide variety of applications that, that, that can be had. And, and really it takes that interest 
and natural resources that get out there, go camping, go fishing, enjoy, enjoy the forest. And I think all of us get into the profession because we like being in the woods. Uh, we like uh, working with, uh, you know, in the forest and, and watching it go. Gary Michael and John Drimmel have been our guests on KYMN radio this morning. Thank you both for joining us on public policy this week. It's been a great and interesting conversation. I agree. Thank you both, gentlemen, for uh, spending the last hour with us. This has been a great conversation. That closes this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. We're here every Friday morning at 10 a.m. We're your hosts, John Olson and Joe Moravchik. Please tell your family and friends about this show. Our goal with Public Policy This Week is to have meaningful, in-depth, civil conversations about public policy challenges. Challenges we all share together as Minnesotans, as Americans, and as citizens of the world. We want our listeners to be armed with facts and data, to hear from policy experts, and for you to be able to use information from our show to make decisions about where you stand on highly complex public policy issues. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from KYMNRadio.net. The Craig Keller Insurance Agency in Nurse Strand reminds you that this is Farm Safety Week and that farming is the second most dangerous occupation in the United States, next only to mining. People need to be on the lookout for slow-moving vehicles.